Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yes, hello my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris, his name is Hayden Winks, and today, Hayden, we were talking about this before we hit record, we have never, at this point in the calendar, had this much information at our fingertips in order to win the season. We have about 10 days until week one kicks off, 13 days until the rest of the slate kicks off as well. Hayden, it's time to give the people what they need in order to have fun and win some cash this year. For all the haters in my comments every single day on Twitter, why are you doing drafts before the preseason? All right, now's your time. Go out there. You have every single bit of information. There will not be many injuries beyond this point. We're going to have a couple roster cutdowns, but like guys like Brashad Perriman weren't helping you or hurting your fantasy team anyways. This is the time you have literally every single bit of information that you can possibly need to go draft. And we have, what, seven, eight, ten, ten days before week one to get in all these drafts. So puppy three, best ball mania, big dog. We got every price point that you could possibly need over at underdog. Yep. Promo code, the show get 25 free bucks is the best way to prepare for your season long league. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Hayden, you know, we've seen players in the field, but I will say perhaps you have been the preseason MVP every single Monday. You've had the column to read on the most actionable information out there from each practices each week of the games all the usage notes as well as always we will go quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end and here we go to cap off this preseason action we start off in san francisco jimmy garoppolo and trey lance split first team snaps in their last preseason game the preseason finale hayden i think there was a clear plan behind this uh, obvious situations where a you know, Trey Lance came in where Cal Shanahan saw a running look or was inside the 30, inside the 20. And we had seen that and heard that from David Lombardi and some other beat writers through last week of practice. I don't think this was just a way to get both players on the field with first team usage, Hayden. I truly feel like this might be how the team opens up with their quarterback usage. Jim Garoppolo starting, Trey Lance coming in for certain situations and certain packages in their opener against the Detroit Lions. The game plan is to make defensive coordinators shit their pants prepping for the 49ers. This is not a good uh, – I mean, it's a great game plan for the 49ers. You get Jimmy G, who's going to – who currently is the better in-pocket quarterback over Trey Lance. Trey Lance is working through some in, or some inconsistencies with his accuracy. He's still learning the playbook, all that stuff. Totally fine. Inexperienced quarterback. He's just turned 21 years old. But, man, the, some of those rushes with Trey Lance – opening up lanes for Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon. I mean, it is going to be electric on the ground. For fantasy purposes, this is not that great because it's going to be hard to rank Jimmy G too high if Trey Lance is in there for the red zone. If he's starting in Trey Lance, this could be the opportunity for the 49ers to do this up until the bye week, and then maybe Trey Lance is the starter in like 
week seven. So it's not the greatest news, but the the rush attack, I mean, the 49ers are going to be like the the Ravens the last couple of years. I think that's how efficient they're going to be. The offensive line looked awesome. And I think that Trey Lance, this is a good way for Trey Lance to get the in-game reps that he needs before he takes off the second half of the season. Yeah, I think it was our friend Brett Coleman who posted the fusion meme from Dragon Ball Z of the Kyle Shanahan Atlanta Falcons passing attack combined with yep. the Baltimore Ravens 2019 rushing attack. Now that's bold. It might get there though. I do want to bring up something that you mentioned. Well, one, the, the rushing attempts. And I do believe that that is where Trey Lance, especially in these packages is, is going to get, you know, most of his, his fantasy value early on. I will say in that preseason game, I think he was outright probably told on the sideline, Hey, don't keep these, yes. hand these off and don't show off that element just yet. Just the looks so far, but hey, we have to factor in that Trey Lance is still being drafted as the quarterback 10 on underdog right now. That is so rich. That is too rich for your season-long leagues. I will say that. I also want to add that it's still inevitable for Trey Lance to be the starter at some point, and I think sooner rather than later this season, but just at quarterback 10, Hayden, above Brian Tannehill, above Matthew Stafford, above Jalen Hurts, all these other names, Rich. It might be a little rich. I just think that it's pretty easy to kind of coordinate around when you draft one of these high upside quarterbacks because we know that you can just stream Baker Mayfield for the first couple weeks in good matchups while Trey Lance hangs around for a couple weeks. So I think I have him ranked at quarterback 12, quarterback 13. I think that Justin Fields may be a better bet than Trey Lance just because he doesn't have to be dealing with the Jimmy Garoppolo kind of platoon. I think that Justin Fields is just going to play more games perhaps than than, uh, Trey Lance just because I don't trust Andy Dalton at all. And I can see that Shanahan wants to do this two-quarterback system for like six, seven weeks. Um, But I think that you can just coordinate around them. I would double dip in that range if you are going to do it, maybe Trey Lance with Matt Ryan. Um, I think quarterback 10 is rich, but I don't think that quarterback 12 or quarterback 13 is too rich. I think that's in both best ball and in redraft. Just coordinate around it. And I still don't think that this makes Jimmy G like draftable in underdog leagues either for for 18 rounds because Hayden, he might come out in those high value opportunity areas. For sure. It would it would require a Trey Lance injury or some sort. I I do think that there is some upside in like these large field tournaments to kind of sprinkle in maybe one lineup with Jimmy G. I do think we need to talk about the biggest thing is. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. If this is the 2019 Ravens of some sort, somewhere around there where they're going to be top five in rush attempts, and then the beat reporters think they're going to run the ball 500 times this year, are they all being priced too high for how much passing volume is? I always struggle with my rankings because if one of the three goes down with an injury, the other two are going to be awesome. Yeah. But what happens if the 49ers are bottom five in pass attempts this year? Brandon Ayuk is going as wide receiver 21, Debo Samuel, wide receiver 30. We know George Kittle in like round three, sometimes even the round two area uh, is is the tight end three off the board. I think this offense is just going to be better. That's important. More efficient, more points, especially in the red zone areas. Fair question to ask, but it's so difficult, Hayden, to start like bumping them down lower below less talented players when I enter these drafts. But I understand at times opportunity can be king. All right. I, I think real quick, 49ers, Raheem Mostert, Trey Who Sermon, we'll 
those guys look in pretty, pretty good. Yeah, we'll get to them in a moment. All right, this rookie class is so much fun at the quarterback position. Let's go on over to another one. Cam Newton started over Mac Jones in the team's preseason finale. Part of me also wonders, Hayden, if this is because Cam Newton missed all of practice all week long. Mac Jones was the one who handled first team work and apparently performed extremely well against Giants in those uh, intra-squad scrimmages. So, Hayden, I don't want to read into the start necessarily, but I want to read into Bill Belichick's comments after this game when reporters asked him if, if he can name a starting quarterback, and if not, when his timeline was, he refused to do both. I'm starting to believe, Hayden, that the New England Patriots won't reveal until kickoff or that morning who the starting quarterback is going to be for the team against the Miami Dolphins. I think he's going to troll us for the next 10 days. And if I was in a guess, I would guess it would be Mac Jones. I didn't, I haven't watched this game yet, but I mean, Mac Jones lit up the preseason the entire time. There's lots of dinks and dunks, but that's kind of what you would expect in this offense. You go two tight ends, Jacoby Myers underneath. You have a James White out of the backfield. I do think it's going to be a dink and dunk offense, but I think that Mac Jones with the help of McDaniels and Belichick can make this thing work. So we'll see. Cam Newton kind of struggled in this last game. Apparently he went two for five through a pick, only had 10 yards. He missed this last week. So I would guess it would be Mac Jones. But I wonder if it's going to be kind of this Trey Lance situation where Cam Newton comes in at the goal line. That would be that would suck for everybody. Uh, so but I, I do think you're right. We're not going to know going into week one. Maybe the, the day before, probably Schefter at, at midnight on, on Saturday will let us know. But I think that he's going to keep this thing pretty coy. Mac looks so comfortable. He looks so fluid. Imagine not wanting to bet on a Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels offense with a top five offensive line that has extreme depth, a vision of playing bully ball, leading the NFL in 12 personnel this season, strong running game, and then pass catchers who we'll get to in a little bit, Jacoby Myers and and Nelson Aguilar and Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Hayden, I think it's inevitable at some point Mac Jones does start. I even think Cam could struggle halfway through week one, and then we see Mac Jones insert into there. He has done nothing other than exactly what he could have to win this job immediately. It's just up to the coaches to make that decision and and give him that title because, like you said, he's been the most accurate quarterback. And some of those dink and dunks comments, possibly, but he also had a few awesome downfield shots in this past game and even like in the preseason week one that were dropped downfield too. Yeah, I, I think that people gave him too much crap for being immobile and not having NFL arm strength. He's not great at either of them, but he's not like – cross him off your board, he can't do either of them. I think that he's a slightly better athlete than people give him credit for. I think that his arm is slightly better. And I I don't think that he needs to be ripping down 50-yard seam shots all the time anyways. Like, that's not what he's going to be asked to do in this particular offense. I think they're going to play to his strengths and the strengths of this offense, of the offensive line, and what they can do eight yards downfield in the passing game. So I think it's going to be pretty effective. Literally, I think there were reports that they had a 30-play drive or something against the Giants in practice this week. <laughs> that might have been hyperbolic a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if if the Patriots lead the NFL in time of possession, though, this season. That, that's sure. absolutely possible. Moving on to another news item from the weekend. Uh, the Dolphins are the, quote, front runners for a Deshaun Watson trade. i got to be honest, Hayden. It feels like a lot of time, maybe too much, was spent on this again over the last three days because – Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio decided to write something after you know hearing buzz from his sister's brother's mother's cousin and made it sound like it was actual news. I will say our friend Charles Robinson did come out with a little bit more concrete reporting because Charles has been all over this since the jump. What would you read into this, Hayden? 
Charles Robinson listed the Panthers, Broncos, Eagles, and Dolphins, and kind of since then, beat reporters for the Broncos and Panthers came out and said that they're not interested right now. And then there was a report that Deshaun Watson is not willing to waive his no trade clause for the Eagles, which seems like surprising to me. Um, and that would kind of leave the Dolphins as the front runner, like Charles Robinson was reporting. I think that the, there's a soft deadline, which is tomorrow, Tuesday, because that's when roster cutdowns are. And maybe the Texans have to make a move. Basically, it seems like Roger Goodell doesn't want to put him on the commissioner's exemplist until he gets more information. And we're not going to know when that more information is going to come. So in theory, the Texans might have to pay Deshaun Watson the $10 million to just sit on the bench. There's no way that they can get around that. So maybe, maybe that's enough for the Dolphins or the Eagles to make a trade offer. But even then, we're dealing with a lot of hoops. So I, I don't think that we should be banking on Deshaun Watson playing this year, but I don't think that the chances are zero. Uh, it seems like everything's just kind of status quo, but I think that tomorrow is the soft deadline for this happening. And if something does happen, Hayden, that would immediately cause chaos for the next about nine days at the league oh, yeah. on on how they handle this. Again, I'm firmly saying that I would be shocked if Sean Watson plays football this year. He doesn't want to play for the Texans. It's clear that they're done with him as well. I truly believe they're going to eat $10 million this season. He sits on the sideline, handles everything he should be handling off the field, and then this is all revisited, and there's another bidding war depending on how many teams he's open to be traded for around that January-February mark. I think that's the schedule that we're going to. The Texans basically are deciding, do we want to trade him now? Uh, and not eat the $10 million, or do we want to wait till next offseason, eat the $10 million, and maybe his cases are, are resolved at that point. But nonetheless, there's still 22-plus sexual misconduct cases and then some criminal complaints too. So there's still a ton of things that both Deshaun Watson, the league, the Texans, and whoever wants to try to trade for him have to go through. So it's still unlikely, but I think that it's not 0%. The Eagles were one team mentioned in the Deshaun Watson trade. In fact, heavy rumors about a month ago. Uh, instead, Hayden, they've spent a conditional fifth-round pick on on Gardner Minshew. I know Harry Roseman came out and said they want to be a, quote, quarterback factory. Well, on the team right now, they have Jalen Hurts, who by all indication, unless he plays his, like plays incredibly well this, this season, he's not going to be the quarterback of the future. You have Joe Flacco in as the veteran quarterback, and now you have Gardner Minshew, again, for a, a late-round consideration. This doesn't move the needle for me at all. I just think that this, if Jalen Hurts struggles in week 10, now they have a young quarterback that they can possibly go to in Gardner Minshew. I don't think that they, the Eagles wanted to play Joe Flacco at all. I do think that like the unknown of Gardner Minshew as a young, like pretty cost-effective player, if Jalen Hurts is does bad, then Gardner Minshew is a better backup than what Joe Flacco is. But I don't think it really matters that much. Jalen Hurts over the last month has dropped to a place where I'm now comfortable drafting mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts. He was like the quarterback seven or eight. Now he's like more like the quarterback 11. I think that that's more appropriate. There's still a lot of downside risk with Jalen Hurts, but I think now the benefit could have kind of outweighed the risk after his ADPs plummeted by like two rounds. A lot of people assume that the Eagles are going to be bottom five in pass attempts in the NFL this season. I bet they're closer to league average. And like you said, I think in any draft, Jalen Hurts can go anywhere from like, I don't know, quarterback 10 to quarterback 13. And if you know have a fear of missing out of on mobile quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts is absolutely one of those. And to his receiver, Hayden, I still think that Devontae Smith, who was wide receiver 38 last week, wide receiver 36 this week, is still a absolute screaming value. And if you want more of those wide receiver rankings, running back rankings, 
every single rankings, go and subscribe down below because we have all those full shows an hour long at each and every position, plus clips along the way. The players to draft early, the players to draft often, and our favorite late round values as well. Please, we're on the path, on the hunt for 5,000 subscribers. Do it for us. We've got a bunch of cool shows here in the next few days as well. Big dog drafts, celebrity appearances, great podcasts on the way as well. So again, like and subscribe down below. All right, let's jump back into this, Hayden. Let's now go to the running back position. The biggest news of the weekend, J.K. Dobbins, season-ending knee injury. J.K. Dobbins was being selected as the running back 15 overall. Hayden, where are we now ranking Gus Edwards? Low-end RB2. I think that he's going to be one of the most efficient running backs. He was, I think, third in next-gen stats, yards per carry over expected metric. We know that being next to Lamar Jackson helps. I think that at 238 pounds, he's going to receive all the goal line work. Last year, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both average 0.6 inside the five-yard line touches per game. I think that we can project Gus Edwards for 10-plus rushing touchdowns this season. His problem is, is I think that the Ravens are definitely a candidate to bring in a second running back. And Gus Edwards has never been and will likely never be a third down option. Last year, he had literally zero passing situation targets. That's two-minute drill targets, targets on third and long, targets while clearly trailing. Never was the third down back. Maybe that's Justice Hill. Maybe that's Tyson Williams. It could be a veteran off the street. But I do think that just his rushing value alone makes him a low-end RB2. I don't want to push him up too much higher than that because I think somebody's coming, whether it's Mark Ingram, somebody else. And I think that we just have to kind of debate maybe Tyson Tyson Williams versus Justice Hill. Do you have any thoughts with those guys? I want to spend a little more time on, on Gus Edwards because, Hayden, it's, it's coming to a point now where you're going to have to spend like a, a lot of draft capital to get him on your roster if you want to. And again, running back 20, that's where you and I both have him right now. That's after DeAndre Swift, Chris Carson, obviously David Montgomery, just ahead of James Robinson, whose running back position has been in flux, right? Josh Jacobs, a few more names in that area. I, I do think that this is a different situation than the one we just found ourselves in with Daryl Henderson, because it feels like ever since the Rams drafted Daryl Henderson, they had like a role in mind for him, Hayden. And every time he's had the starting back job, they've hedged. They've hedged on him. I don't think the Ravens are going to hedge on Gus Edwards leading this team at the running back spot and carries the season. That's not to say they're not going to bring in someone else to play that kind of second running back spot. But Hayden, we know this team is going to lead the NFL and carries this year, point blank period. We were also getting J.K. Dobbins, who in many ways I, I think is slightly more talented and more talented, yes, than, than Gus Edwards. Or even if we're considering J.K. Dobbins being down for the year at that running back 15 ADP, even if you weren't ranking him in that area. Now we basically just have one name that this team just gave a major contract to in that area. I think that this is extreme confidence despite the lack of passing volume, but somewhere in underdog, which is half point PPR, if your home league is a standard scoring league, Gus Edwards can absolutely smash in it. The ceiling is absolutely there, especially if he you know, makes good on those goal line touches. And it just depends on if he or, or Lamar Jackson or the passing game is able to convert those scores. And him not having a third down role is not that important because the Ravens were 31st in running back receptions last year. That role is just not 
an important one for the Ravens in general. So if, if he can handle 75% of the like rush attempts or 65% of it in this efficient offense, he's going to be flirting with like top 10 rushing category metrics. And he's not going to have any of the receiving metrics, but he does have the size profile and the contract to kind of back him up. Like you said, to be a legit starter in the ground game. I don't think he'll be an every down back, but you don't necessarily need that for him to be a top 20 running back this season. People for so long have viewed Gus Edwards as just like a running back insurance player. Hayden, I think he's more than that for this offense. If it was a different team, it might not be a perfect fit. I still firmly believe if he played 1998, he would have rushed for 1900 yards. (laughs) I mean, Gus Edwards is that kind of like straight line player. And look, I'm in the context of the players going around him. DeAndre Swift, who we have one spot ahead in our rankings, excuse me, one spot behind. Like there are so many questions surrounding that right now. You know, Kareem Hunt, sure, the ceiling can be massive if Nick Chubb misses time, but at least on paper, what you're drafting right now is the player who's going to be second on his team in touches. But sure, yes, get more passing down work. But we know Gus Edwards is locked in, right? Miles Sanders, concerns. Josh Jacobs, concerns. Like, keep going, going down further and further down the list, and even including some of the names above him. What I'm trying to say is this is one of the more defined situations that we now get with Gus Edwards, while more limited than other backs across the league. So I'm confident ranking him as running back 20. I'm confident in it. I think that, I think that his role is way safer than some of those other running backs. It's just like, are you playing for like a top five ceiling? I'm not sure True. if Gus Edwards has that ceiling. And just it always comes down to that running back group. It's always just going to be compared to Kyle Pitts and all of the wide receivers in that range. True. But if you only have zero or one running backs to this point, and Gus Edwards kind of hanging around like the fifth round. I think that's like kind of the range where he deserves to be going in next to like a Trey Sermon, next to like a Damian Harris. I mean, Damian Harris, Gus Edwards, basically the same job, same efficiency. And I think that we kind of are on board like round five-ish. I'm not sure if I'm going to call Gus Edwards like a third-round pick or something like that, though. To your question on Tyson Williams, on Justice Hill, hey, we know nothing about Tyson. You and I jumped into the vault this morning on YouTube to look at his highlights from from BYU. I think – I mean, I can specifically point out which run made you somewhat a believer. It was like an inside the 10-yard line run against, I think it was Utah, where he broke a tackle and then fell in the end zone, spun off a few. Anyways, we know nothing about him. He's been in the league for, what, a year now and has zero touches to his name. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult for me just to – because at times I feel like late in drafts like this, it, we have such a difficult time – predicting the quality, the belief in these players, that that's when we miss. This is when we miss on running backs later on. But I know like the draft capital is so much different than it would be, again, for a back in the range that we're talking about with Gus Edwards. I don't think that Justice Hill's going to make a difference no. for, for the Ravens. So I, I, I think that I would be ranking, or I am ranking Tyson Williams ahead of Justice Hill if you're looking for a late-round target I thought his tape looked okay. He looks decently explosive. He kind of can do maybe a little bit of everything, maybe not anything too great. But he did have power five pedigree before he transferred to BYU, and he missed a lot of time because of injuries. So maybe if he's healthy, there is a little something more to his profile than his just like raw college stats would suggest. But I, I'm just going to be following the beat reporters. They know way more about Tyson Williams than we will ever know. And I think that I'll be ranking Tyson Williams, just the unknown of him versus Justice Hill, who we've seen who just kind of never done anything. But most importantly, Gus Edwards is the guy. 
Gus Edwards is the guy in that backfield. No matter what happens, I think, in the next nine days. Anyways, yep. let's jump to the San Francisco backfield. We talked about the quarterback situation earlier on, where he most started in the 49ers preseason finale. And Hayden Winks, the running highways that were created when Trey Lance was on the field. Dear Lord, I put out a tweet earlier today. The over-under in week one rushing yards for the 49ers <laughs> against the Detroit Lions has to be at least 259 this could be an absolute shellacking, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just continued that for the entire year because, again, Moser is the most explosive running back in the NFL. Give him the edge. Get him a seam. He destroys defenders' angles, and he did that in this preseason finale. And he's going to keep doing it, and then Trey Sermon's the perfect complement to Raheem Mostert as more of a bruiser type, um, and we'll see. I think that both of them – there will be weeks where both of them are top 24 guys as pure rushers, so we don't even know how many – targets they're going to be getting i don't i the one thing that was uh kind of an issue is we never got trey sermon and raheem Mostert both playing in the same drive to kind of dictate all right who's going to be playing on third downs who's going to be the short yardage back but i think that both of them have monsters monster ceilings i mean some of these runs that trey lance is going to open up is just going to be completely silly i feel bad for the opposing edge rushers and linebackers that have to try to figure out some of the zone read stuff that they're going to be seeing with Trey Lance, because you have Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon, who are both great talents in their own right. Uh, the 49ers are going to, I mean, they could easily lead the, the league in rushing yards this year. That wouldn't be that big of a surprise to me. And Raheem Mostert does not have to get 50% of the backfield touches to hit. Correct. That's an important indicator to make because so many of the other backs who are drafted in this area, you're hoping that the opportunity is there. Trey Sermon can take 60-yard runs, 50-yard runs, 20-yard runs to the house, and especially when you know they figure out the right dynamic, hopefully, in this Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo, even though we've kind of seen these things fail in the past. But guess what? If I wanted to believe in someone to figure it out, it's Kyle Shady. And let's not uh, forget that the 49ers schedule is the easiest in the NFL across the entire league. And in the fantasy playoffs, it's the Falcons at home, the Texans at home, and then the Titans on the road. Who are you scared of of that group? I mean, like it's like the, the Lions line that you just laid. It's going to be like 259 yards over under for those games, too. Let's jump to the Jacksonville backfield where we found out last week that Travis Etienne was going to miss the season. This is our first look at like what the backfield is going to be moving forward. At least we hope so. And James Robinson played on 10 of 17 first team snaps in the preseason finale. Carlos Hyde took the remaining seven snaps. The garbage machine, the garbage truck is coming by when I mentioned Carlos Hyde's name. Read into that as you wish. Uh, Hayden, you write that this split is likely worst case scenario for Robinson. I think it's so obvious that he's just such the superior talent in this backfield that I don't want to get too nervous. And again, he's one of those players right now, Hayden, that his, his ADP is in flux. You and I have him as like running back 18 overall. And in the last few days, he's been going as running back 21. James Robinson's leading the NFL in awesome blitz pickups on third down this preseason. I mean, he did it again to open up a touchdown uh, things like Farrell Cooper or something for, for Trevor Lawrence. He's just like miles better than Carlos Hyde. James Robinson does not have the, t- the top end speed. That's like the only thing he's bad at. There's just, I just don't see a path to James Robinson not playing 75% of these snaps because Carlos Hyde cannot do much these days. And what Carlos Hyde is good at is like short yardage stuff, which James Robinson is going to be the goal line back. So if Carlos Hyde plays on like third and six, on a couple of times or, or second and six, like I don't really care about that. And going back to the preseason usage, James Robinson played the first two snap two drives 
and then Carlos Hyde came in for the third drive. Like that's just something you never see. Like once the regular season comes around, that kind of usage kind of just like let's get Carlos Hyde a couple reps with the first team because he's a veteran. That doesn't tell me that he's going to be playing on certain scenarios. I think that James Robinson is going to get a bulk of the carries and the passing down work again. And I think that he he's a perfect RB two. Yeah. Look, we are nervous about their offensive line because even if they bring back five stars, it might not be the best in the NFL. Um, but we're also a little nervous that, you know, James Robinson might not hit the 80% snap share or whatever he got last season, 75%. But he's clearly the best back. Now, he doesn't have the juice that Urban Meyer wants, and that's why they drafted Travis Etienne. But, hey, what we saw last year was a legit NFL running back. If the Jaguars made no moves at running back this offseason, which they probably should have done because you get, like, the cheapest contract at a good running back possibly in the NFL, and, like, that's good team building – where would we be drafting James Robinson right now? It would be absolutely in this area, if not even higher. Hayden, he might be a top two-round, three-round running back if they made no moves at that position this offseason. Like you said, I'm, we showed the highlight too. That blitz pickup, the touchdown would not have happened if, right. if he's not out there on the field. And I, I still think so many elements of this Jaguars offense is underrated. Like, look, sure, questions about that team in the first two preseason games. Trevor Lawrence is in flow. He's in rhythm. He stands tall in the pocket. Justin Herbert-esque in those ways. I'm drafting Trevor Lawrence at quarterback 16. I'm drafting Marvin Jones still as a distant third wide receiver on that team at wide receiver 50 in his ADP. And I'm pretty cool with James Robinson in that running back dead zone area as well. Yeah, he would be one of the guys that has a chance for three down work. I mean, that's probably his best trait is just that he's a three down back. Like he's not going to do anything crazy, but he can be out there for all three downs help you with blitz pickups, could go catch the ball out in space and be your goal line back. That's kind of a rare skill set, and that's like nothing that Carlos Hyde can do anymore. So I'll, I'll, I'll bet on the talent here. And I'll add that I bet we see some of the similar usage last season with LaVisca Chenault in that yards after catch air of the field. Even though we heard like some narrative that we weren't going to see that much of it more this season, I, I bet we do now. And yes, as Aiden in the chat points out, James Robinson week one versus the Texans. Let's roll. Let's ride Trevor Lawrence. Let's ride Marvin Jones and let's ride James Robinson. All right. Quickly on to the Denver Broncos backfield. Javante Williams, who we've seen in two preseason games, did not play. That's a good sign. Melvin Gordon finally returned to the field. That's also a good sign. He's the one who started. How are you reading into this situation now, Hayden? I, like you said, I think it was good news that Melvin Gordon's healthy enough to play because we had no, basically no reports for this entire training camp on what his status was. And then it's also good news that Javante Williams was good enough in the first two games that the coaching staff didn't want to, didn't want to play him. So this is a massive unknown just because they've never played together. I still think it's going to be Melvin Gordon in more passing situations. Javante Williams is probably the better between the tackles rusher. If these two running backs are splitting time, let's say it's 50-50 or somewhere close to 50-50, I'm not sure if that's going to be good enough to be a top 24 running back in this offense. The Broncos were 27th in fantasy usage among their running backs last year. So we'll see. Javante Williams just basically has to be better than Melvin Gordon on passing situations to be to have that Jonathan Taylor second half of the season. I'm not sure if that this is the offense for that. But Javante Williams looked good. The Broncos are paying Melvin Gordon a lot. So I, I ultimately think it's going to end up being a two-back committee. That's not the greatest. Going to ask a difficult question for you, okay? Javante Williams, running back 24. Melvin Gordon, 
running back 36. Is that fair? No. I think it's going to be closer to the middle. I, I I do think the difference between Melvin Gordon and the other backs that like rookies kind of supplant in the second half of the season is Melvin Gordon's the fourth highest paid running back in the NFL. Fourth highest. So the Broncos think that Melvin Gordon is better than what we think. And Javante Williams seems like a guy, very young guy, that is going to break out next year. And maybe he's like Cam Akers this year where he's always in a committee and then had a great couple games down the stretch. Yeah. Looks the part but was never a, a weekly RB2. So I would draft him closer to that flex territory, not like low-end RB2. Yeah, I think Melvin Gordon is going to be a blind spot for a lot of drafters who you know put in a number of entries under underdog because he's going in that kind of weird area. So I think listening to what you just said makes a lot of sense. All right, let's jump to the Patriots backfield. Damon Harrison, James White split the Patriots first team's reps. Again, this is the post-Sony Michelle trade. Hayden, I was told... On a beat writer show, Phil Perry, our friend, our dear friend of the show, Damian Harris, first and second down running back, lead ball carrier, James White, obvious passing downs, J.J. Taylor, plus Ramondre Stevenson in that Rex Burkhead role, Brandon Burton, Brandon Bolden, I should say, in that special teams role, and that's what we get. And I think that that's what we've seen in the preseason. And Hayden, the upside of someone like Damian Harris, why I still think he can be a value at running back 29, is unlocked even more if Cam Newton is not the starter, as you pointed out, because he handled 73% of the carries inside the five-yard line. We have this backfield figured out. Ramondre Stevenson's the RB3. He's Damian Harris's direct insurance. Ramondre Stevenson is very unlikely to matter at all when Damian Harris is healthy. And I think Damian Harris is probably better than what most people think, just like what he's being asked to do, just vision, pick up yards, fall forward. That's exactly what Damian Harris could do. So I think that we have this backfield pretty much pegged. The only unknown we have is, is Cam Newton still going to be a goal line vulture? And we will just not know that until week one comes around. I do want to bring up this, okay? Because all I get whenever I advocate for someone like Damian Harris is that we can never, we can never predict the Patriots' backfield. Go back and look at the last time other than 2020 when Tom Brady was not the starting quarterback for 16 games of the New England Patriots. Look at what we got for LeGarrette Blunt: 299 attempts, over 1,100 yards, and 18 touchdowns. 18 touchdowns is a lot to predict for any of these <laughs> running backs to hit. And Hayden, that allowed him to hit the running back nine in fantasy points per game. But zoom out just a little bit. What do the Patriots want to be? Top five offensive line, lead the NFL in two tight end sets, and play bully ball. If Damien Harris, who is going to be the guy to start the season, stays healthy, continues to play well like he has all preseason long, we might get something close to this. I think we can get a top 15 running back season from Damien Harris if things go according to plan. Because this is the identity that this team wants to have. And it was not that long ago when they did feed one running back. And that was the Garrett Blunt, who was an above average talent in the NFL. I think Damian Harris is an above average talent. And I think right here, he's uh, Garrett Blunt's averaging 3.9 yards per carry. Damian Harris is probably going to be averaging 4.5 to 5 yards per carry. And obviously, 18 touchdowns is absurd. We're not expecting that. But I do think that you can see Damian Harris eclipse a thousand rushing yards and, and 10 to 12 touchdowns. And that would be enough to sneak into the RB two. Also Damian Harris, if James White got injured, 
I think that he can play passing downs too. He's not like LeGarrette Blount where he literally cannot play passing downs. I think that Damian Harris is good enough if James White were to get injured to play uh, more of a three-down role. I also want to bring up how much this team loves J.J. Taylor too. Like, Ramondre Stevenson has been great, and Rich Hill points this out very well, that he was, you know, number one in yards from scrimmage during the preseason with 242, mostly ran with the third and fourth teams, obviously. J.J. Taylor is, is right behind him, and Hayden, he has more time in this system. We know that the Patriots care a lot about that, too. He's not just a Deion Lewis-like clone to them. Who Deion Lewis carried the ball for them as well. Like, he's a between-the-tackles runner. So I would not just easily and readily assume, and I think Ramondre Stevenson has shown a lot, but if something happens to Damian Harris, that is just Ramondre's job. Maybe near the goal line it might be, but I think J.J. Taylor snags a whole bunch of that work too because they love him. They absolutely love him. They're so loaded. Patriots are loaded at running back. Right, and and both of these things, a lot of people are going to point to these, and maybe this is just my bias showing, saying, well, that means we need to draft Ramondre Stevenson. Maybe we should factor in J.J. Taylor. It just makes me – love their offensive line, their style more, and that makes me want to draft the guy who's going to get these opportunities early in the season, and that's Damian Harris. Good enough? Good enough. People get it. Damian Harris right. is, a, is, is an underdog fantasy guy. The Buccaneers' backfield is a mess, Hayden. The Bills' backfield is a mess. Quickly in the Bucks. I joined the Pewter Report podcast last week, and I got individual questions on Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and Giovanni Bernard, and I just did not want to answer them. I mean, just a total blind spot to me. I really liked Gio earlier this offseason where he was going as like round 16, round 17, round 18. They're all too rich for me, and the weakest part of a great offense, but one that I think are going to be extremely unpredictable. I just want to know who's the goal line back. Like Ronald, Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette both started in one of the games that they played and they rotated drives. Like it's just like impossible to know based off of usage who's the one A in goal line situations between those two. And then I looked up just to kind of see how much work we can expect Giovanni Bernard to have. And last year, if you look at passing situation targets, which are those two minute drill, third and long, fourth and long, while they're trailing targets to running backs, the Bucks averaged 2.5 of those. So let's say Giovanni Bernard averages four targets. Is that really enough? Like, let's be honest here. Like, if he's only playing third downs, is that enough? Four targets per game to be an RB2 or a flex option? Like, I just don't think that's the case. Like, those James White years, that's when Chris Hogan was the wide receiver too, and Josh Gordon was being suspended for half a season. That's when James White was good. Giovanni Bernard is dealing with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Gronk. Like, that's like three or four Hall of Famers. So um, this is probably an avoid. I think that I would flirt with, Rojo or Fournette over Giovanni Bernard just to see who's the goal line back. But it's a mess. Both of these backfields are probably just best to avoid. Totally. And I understand that, again, we love both these offenses, so it makes us want to try to figure out the running back position. But I think we've also seen from the offensive coordinators, from the quarterbacks, if things don't go according to plan and maybe those outside, you know, the one yard line, the two yard line carries can be a bit unpredictable. Like you're talking about with goal line opportunities. We've seen both these quarterbacks just take firm control of their offenses and like force them to move the ball by just passing the ball, you know? Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm, you know, completely avoiding this area of the draft where all these running backs go. And I would rather take an Alexander Madison, you know, where he's going of someone who could, have an avenue to top 10 running back status versus trying to guess on these, you know? I think we got confirmation on one of these 
insurance backs with Chuba Hubbard. He played 35 of 41 first-team snaps with the Panthers in the preseason finale. Obviously, McCaffrey didn't play, but this is that Mike Davis role, and I think the Panthers are one of those teams where they kind of want one back back there, and then I think that Chuba Hubbard could play three downs. He's kind of smaller than I would want him to be um, in this type of role, but I think that he can do it. I think that Chuba Hubbard, somebody in the very last round, is worth targeting. I think that he could be this year's Mike Davis in literally the exact same role. This is pretty important information, too, for a fourth-round pick. You know, 126th overall. This isn't massive draft capital in round two or round three where he was locked into this role. I think he had to earn it. I think he earned that immediately in practice, and so he got that opportunity from preseason week one because we know Christian McCaffrey has set out all of preseason action. Now, if CMC is in there, he's going to see 85 90% of the snaps, and that's not going to matter. But we have also seen, you know, the last, what, two-ish years that we've seen him miss time a lot of time last year and uh, Chuba Hubbard can do it. Yep. Can Chuba Hubbard, Darrington Evans. Those are like my two last round dart throws that nobody knows who they are. And then they can end up being a top 15 running back for a couple of weeks. Before we jump to wide receiver again, want to tell all of you, if you like the show, if you want to win your fantasy season this year, go and subscribe to the underdog football show here on YouTube down below. Leave a like while you're there, but also on your podcast feed, take it on the go with you. In the car, shopping for groceries. Be one of those weirdos that wears headphones and doesn't want you know to talk to the world. That's you, Hayden. Really? Yeah. Those people seem so antisocial and just like I'm putting up this wall and I don't want to communicate with you. Anyways, if you're one of those people, think about leaving us a five star review. <laughs> it helps us out tremendously. All right, and go and play an underdog. We'll get to that in a moment, though. All right, jump it back to wide receivers. Ty Hilton, neck upper back, disc, will miss, quote, multiple weeks. The team is being super vague about this injury. It seemed to pop up out of nowhere. And Hayden, the only thing that I wanted to talk about as soon as this injury hit, and love, love T.Y., love T.Y., but the bounce back has not happened yet when Carson Wentz went out, when Quentin Nelson went out for Michael Pittman, who is still being drafted at wide receiver 51 he is one of those screaming wide receiver values right now. When the Colts are in 12 personnel and if T.Y. Hilton's out, it's going to be Michael Pittman, Zach Pascal, Jack Doyle, and Mo Alley-Cox running routes. Like, come on. Like, who are they going to throw the ball to in those situations? Clearly, Michael Pittman. So, yeah, we're all aboard the Michael Pittman train. T.Y. Hilton, we have no idea what how long he's going to be out, but I don't like, like, disc injuries in my upper back as a 31-year-old. That doesn't sound too good to me the twitter doctors apparently think that he this could be an injury that kind of he has to deal with the pain but there could easily could be setbacks and that it could end up costing him his season i do want to say that paris campbell's i think is only a slot receiver so i don't think that this changes paris campbell's uh outlook at all i think that zach pascal goes from the bench into 11 personnel and 12 personnel scenarios so maybe he's worth an 18th round pick if T.O. helen's out for the year but i think like you said, it's this is the Michael Pittman show. If he's good enough, he's going to break out as like a wide receiver three this year. Yeah, One of our best clips, and you can check it out down below after the show, is our five best values at the wide receiver position this year. Michael Pittman is absolutely one of those. Again, draft him. I draft him all the way up at wide receiver 45. You even have him a little bit before then. He needs to be in our team because among these players that have a profile to be like a true X receiver, he is that. It could be the Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman show on offense this season. It's that simple. Yep. Let's jump to the Broncos passing game. Cortland Sutton returned to the Broncos in their preseason finale. 
it's been a bit of a roller coaster last month here for Cortland Sutton, who like early instances in camp was wearing a knee brace, didn't trust his knee. He talked about it. The coaches talked about it. We've seen some really solid glimpses from a player, Hayden, who was on track to be like a true number one wide receiver before his injury. This was perfect news for Cortland Sutton. Got out there, played almost every single snap with the first team offense, was cutting off of his uh, torn ACL, which was nice. Like he wasn't just running go routes on it. He was actually cutting on it, scored a touchdown. I think that this was the news that if you're a Cortland Sutton fan, this was good news. Uh, Jerry Judy, very odd usage. I think this is end up going to being like just kind of game plan depend, like just like a, a random one-off thing. He only played eight of 19 first team snaps, but KJ Hamler didn't play, which means that Jerry Judy went from the, the second outside receiver, first outside receiver into the slot, and they put Tim Patrick in on the outside. Uh, I think that ultimately when the three wide receivers are out there, it's going to be Jerry Judy, Cortland Sun on the outside, Hamler on the inside, and that this weird usage for Jerry Judy is ultimately not going to matter. But Jerry Judy's being drafted as a wide receiver 26. So right. if Cortland Sun's maybe healthier than, than we thought, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do with the Broncos. They're all good players, but like I just don't trust this this passing offense at all because the defense is going to be so good. I think they're going to be slow-paced, and they're going to want to run the ball. And I'm I'm worried about – Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy at their price tags right now. I'm not going to read too much into it because it is preseason, but Teddy Bridgewater for the first half of his performance was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, like, it was miserably bad. We talked about the running back spot, how you're spending what a top 24 running back pick and Javante Williams, a top 36 on Melvin Gordon. Then you go over to wide receiver and you mentioned Jerry Judy, wide receiver 26, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver 35. We're taking Noah Fant as the tight end 10. This is the Denver Broncos. You're going to have a very good defense. Pat Shermer as the offense coordinator, Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. That's a lot. This is, yeah. I mean, it, it's so different to me than like the 49ers one, which we believe in so many of those pieces. I, I don't believe in like critical points of the Broncos right now. And Teddy Bridgewater last out or last year when he was elevating all of the passing game pieces of that offense, that was because the Panthers' defense was really young and really bad. The Broncos are going to be a top five defense. Like he, he's not going to be in those situations where he's throwing the ball as much as he was the previous season. So I don't know if the answer is just don't draft any of them except like KJ Hamler late, but they're all so good. It's just it's just a tough situation. I'll throw in Noah Fant, too. I mean, I really like Noah Fant at tight end 10 just because he's going at the end of that grouping yeah. of Logan Thomas, Tyler Higby, and Robert Tunyon, and he has, like, the profile to potentially emerge after that because he is a yards after catch machine at that position. That's tough to find. That's yep. tough to find. Okay. Patriots wide receivers. We talked about the quarterbacks. We talked about the running backs. Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar owned the two wide receiver set situations. Again, to that conversation I had with Phil Perry, he was wondering – where Jacoby Myers was going in drafts now. And Hayden, he's going as wide receiver 60. I told him that his news-breaking ability back in June basically vaulted Jacoby Myers from being a wide receiver in round 17 and 18, again, all the way up to wide receiver 60. But there is a legitimate shot, despite how much money they spent on Nelson Aguilar, that Myers is their number one leading pass catcher this season. The good news is he's a slot receiver, but he's playing in two wide receiver sets. And that's the preseason news we got this this last game. And I think that he's just going to be their best. I think he's just better than Nelson Aguilar. I think that they're going to be in two totally different roles. But I think that Jacoby Myers, is, is he's just the next New England slot receiver. Like, I truly do think he's that type of player. And it's going to be a balanced offense, so his ceiling's not that high. But 
being 28th in receiving yards from week eight on last year is good enough for me at wide receiver 60. So he's going to end up being a wide receiver five for me. I think that in your redraft leagues, I think that he's a classic sleeper that no one really knows about and is going to end up being a flex option during the bye weeks. I also don't want to overlook Nelson Aguilar as a potential spike week player too. I mean, at wide receiver 63, because he's going to have that role of a downfield passer and you and I both agree sooner than later, Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback there. He threw some downfield shots too. It's not just those Dick and Duck stuff he runs, yeah. you know? So Nelson Aguilar, do not overlook him as, as a contributor at wide receiver 63 either. I really like that price. Agree. All right. Speaking of vertical playmakers, Hayden, Michael Hardman played on just nine, if I can say just, 15 <laughs> first team snaps in the Chiefs preseason finale. As you write, Tyree Kill played in 14. And tried and true, Demarcus Robinson played in 11. Hayden, every single conversation that we've had about Miko Hardman, who is still being drafted at wide receiver 41, mind you, has the entire summer. His best games have come when Tyree Kill has been out of action. He's basically the wide receiver insurance for Tyree Kill. I think all offseason, all preseason, the point the Chiefs have been wanting to make or trying to make is if he can grab onto the role opposite Tyree Kill. And I think after three preseason games, a month of practice, Hayden, I think that question has not been answered. He hasn't. Like, I think that's like what it is. I think he's a slot receiver. He's going to be an effective gadget player. Uh, last year, he played on 45% of the snaps. I think this year it'll be closer to 60, 65, 70. But I think that you nailed it. I think that he is basically Tyree Kill's direct backup. But when Tyree Kill is healthy, he'll still be on the field in slot situation. So he's going to be much better than he was last year. But is he wide receiver 41? I'm not sure about that. If you look at this entire preseason, McCole Hardman's average 1.08 yards per route run. That would be one of the worst in, in the league. And that includes the game where Tyree Kill missed the entire game because of an illness. And that's when Mikkel Hardman received all of his targets. And he he didn't look good on those targets. I mean, he was not on the same page with, with Patrick Holmes at any point in that entire game. So I think we're drafting him as something that he's not. I wish he was like the wide receiver 55 and then I would right. have some interest, but wide receiver 41, like you're being drafted right next to some like legit flex. I'll name options. some of them. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll name some of them. Look, he, he's Corey Davis is going one spot in wide receiver rankings ahead of, of Michael Hartman. Corey Davis might be among, I don't know, the top 10, top 15 in targets this season period. Yeah. Uh, Darnell Mooney, who had an awesome rookie season, who's going to be in 12 personnel or three wide receiver sets on the Bears, who most likely will have Justin Fields early on. He's going two wide receiver spots after Michael Hartman. I mean, the likes of I don't know, Jarvis Landry, Brandon Cooks, if you want to float that boat. I mean, we've talked about it too. Michael Pittman, Marvin Jones are going nine and ten wide receiver spots after Michael Hartman. I just can't get there. Look, if he shows up and shows out, I'll have missed out. And I'm totally fine with that. But, Hayden, you and I both sat here and said – if he shows that in the preseason, that like true number two wide receiver stuff, then we'll adjust. We haven't had to adjust to this point. The first route he ran is a drag route, and, and Patrick Mahomes pegged him in the back of the head. Like he wasn't even looking. I mean, I, I wanted to be in. I like I wanted to join the fun. I just never, never saw it this this preseason. So watch him but, go crazy without Tyreek Hill. But we'll let's jump to the Panthers wide receiver group. A player who has emerged is Terrace Marshall. Again, the narrative when he was going is like. Wide receiver 72 as a as a third round rookie. 
Hayden was that if he stays healthy, if he grabs that number three wide receiver spot, which is more important than the Panthers tight end one position, then we could have a pretty big year, 800, 900, six, seven touchdowns potentially. And that's all in play. Now you write that he played 23 of 41 first team snaps in the preseason finale. Um, we know that DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are locked in as the top two wide receivers. I will add though, Hayden, both of those players combined for just seven receiving touchdowns last year. Terrace Marshall comes in, could be their best red zone threat as well. However, as I mentioned, the price has gone all the way from wide receiver 72 up to wide receiver 59 now. You're not sneaking them by anybody anymore, but Terrace Marshall is going to be in three wide receiver sets and 70% of the Panthers passing plays last year came in these three wide receiver sets. So I think that he's going to be on the field enough. I think he'll ultimately need an injury to one of the two to kind of really break out into that like Curtis Samuel wide receiver three range that we saw last year. But Terrace Marshall has inside outside versatility popped on tape has the size profile profile that you're looking for. So I think that he's a worthwhile bench stash in case something happens. I think that he's good enough to be a fantasy contributor uh, this season. Just maybe it'll take a couple weeks or an injury. He just looks like it too. Oh, yeah. You and I talk about this a lot. When you see these prospects go and play in an NFL field, he looks like he looks like an NFL player. I I want to bring up that we are so ahead of ADP on all of these players, and that includes Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's issues are still there, Hayden, but to me that's that's totally fine. And I also want to add that they almost used him in like a Cooper Cup-like way at times in three wide receiver sets where he would either motion or start off super tight to the formation, Terrace Marshall. So it kind of gave them like a two-tight end look. And then, boom, he would burst off that and catch passes. That's how his touchdown was scored as well. Well, actually, no, that was on a screen, but another long reception. So I, I'm in on Terrace Marshall. Everyone knows this. I, I, I've been in since pre-draft. I've been in post-draft. I think there's a chance he leads all pass catchers in, in touchdowns this season. And I'm still buying it wide receiver 59 if other people are not. All right. Have we barely seen D. Eskridge during this entire preseason? We have no idea what role the rookie second rounder is going to have. We love Russell Wilson. We love DK Metcalf. We love Tyra Lockett. How are you handling D. Dwayne Eskridge at wide receiver 90 in fantasy drafts right now? He wants to go by D, so I'll call him D. D. Eskridge, I think, is going to be starting in three wide receiver sets, and he has tons of contingency value because I think that he would be the number two because the Seahawks' depth at receiver is really bad, really, really bad. So even though he missed most of the training camp, I think he's going to be a week one starter. He has the speed in the downfield profile that you're looking for as a best ball pick, especially attached to Russell Wilson, maybe the best deep ball thrower in at least in terms of touch in the entire NFL. So I think it's a perfect scheme fit. And if something happened to Lockett or, or, or Metcalf, I think that D Eskridge would be super interesting. So uh, he's the perfect last round pick. And then the other rookie we have to talk about Nico Collins played 20 of 27 first team snaps. So he was actually playing ahead of Chris Conley he started ahead of Chris Conley we thought that maybe it would take him a couple weeks to kind of get into the starting role. It looks like it's going to be Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, and Kiki Kuti in the slot week one. So that's great news for Nico Collins. Also, he looks good too. Like he has that like size, speed profile that you're kind of looking for. He trucked this guy for a touchdown here. So uh, perfect late round pick. These these rookies I think are awesome in the last round. Listen, listen. We can go to your next news item here because I think it's all linked. 
that Brashad Perryman, who was being drafted at what wide receiver 88 territory, that was ahead of the Eskridge. That was well ahead of Nico Collins. What are y'all doing? Don't go and be drafting Brashad Perryman as your round 17, round 18 pick when all the buzz suggested he wasn't going to make that roster. And instead, go into the unknown, especially, in my opinion, Hayden, Nico Collins is a perfect 18th round selection. He is going 100 spots after, after where his teammate Brandon Cooks is going, has that profile of power five, big bodied, athletic, alpha. And look, it might not hit. But if it hits for two to three to four games, beautiful. To me, that – and I'll even throw in Kadarius Toney. Again, I subtweeted someone like Brashad Perryman, that people being drafted ahead of Kadarius Toney, who we still haven't seen. But at wide receiver 99, we're even going to make their rosters. One's off the list in Brashad Perryman. We'll get a few more this week. Hayden, again, D. Eskridge, Nico Collins, Kadarius Toney. Those are your targets, I think, in round 18. The Lions are going to be looking at Tyrell Williams and Quintess Cephas in two wide receiver sets as their outside receivers with Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot. Amon Ross St. Brown has not played a single snap in two wide receiver sets. That basically cancels him out for contention for fantasy value. You can't have slot-only receivers on really bad offenses. So I think that Nico Collins, all those guys should be ranked ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown. And one of those guys that might get cut is John Brown. He's a backup. He played in the last preseason game when everybody else was out. The Raiders three wide receiver sets is Brian Edwards at X, Henry Ruggs at Z, Hunter Renfro in the slot. They're all like Willie Sneeds and Zay Jones is like backups. But John Brown could easily be one of these guys that that gets cut too. We haven't seen Henry Ruggs for a single snap in preseason, have we? Not I don't that think I've so. seen. No. I'll take that as a good sign. That's it's so funny, Hayden. I mean, you and I on a different platform last summer. It felt like every single show we wanted to talk about Henry Ruggs. It's been almost impossible to talk about him this offseason as wide receiver 58 but it's still someone I, I want some exposure to because they want to make that first round pick right he is explosive especially we just need to see a different usage of him we can't see him as a clear out player we just see him as a yards after catch player and if that's the case i think he's going to destroy his wide receiver 58 adp the athletics victor fur he was asked who's going to lead the team in receiving like between brian edwards and henry ruggs and his answer was John Gruden wants to prove that Henry Ruggs was the wide receiver one in this class. So I think that he, it, it will be some more gadget touches, and that's what we need. He can't just be the, the clear-out routes stuff. That's good for his like upside in a week, but he needs like the consistency. And I think this year we're going to get it from him. And your John Brown point makes sense. I can't remember who they were playing on the broadcast. They said that he's on the roster bubble. Like he might just yeah. get cut, even though they wanted him to basically be a one-for-one replacement for Nelson Aguilar. All right, at tight ends, we'll close it out here with these last couple. Irv Smith, meniscus injuries out weeks following surgery. This is weird, Hayden, because I know people close to the Vikings went back and watched the game. They didn't see anything of note that stood out for an injury during the game. He practiced as well. And then he, you know, now is is going to miss a large portion of the season. Irv Smith was some people's favorite, like late round, quote unquote, tight end at tight end 12. And now we're just lost another from that list. It seems like if it's a, a meniscus trim, he's out for like four weeks. And then if it's a full repair of his meniscus, he's out for the season. So you had to drop him in the rankings. He was one of the guys that had all the first team snaps that you were looking for in the preseason. And I, I guess this puts us on Tyler Conklin watch. Tyler Conklin hasn't played this entire preseason because of a hamstring injury. But I did see a practice report that it looks like he 
might be coming back this week or next week. So that's something to keep an eye out for. But I mean, this is just, is Justin Jefferson going to finish as like the wide receiver one this year? I mean, they're everyone's dropping like flies and Justin Jefferson's really good. So I think that out of all that second tier of, of wide receivers, give me Justin Jefferson over AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, all those guys. I think that the offense is going to be completely centered around Justin Jefferson. They're losing everybody right now. I think Jefferson has since dropped past AJ Brown too. Now as, as wide receiver eight. So he's even dropping a couple ADP spots. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it, Adam Thielen, has missed time, now Irv Smith. Hey, we could see Dalvin Cook lead the league in carries. We could see Justin Jefferson lead the league in targets. That's very reasonable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Justin Jefferson's so good, too. Like, I, I think he's better than, like, DeAndre Hopkins, all these other guys in this kind of s- similar tier already. He's just – and he led the the league in yards per hour run versus man coverage last year, like 4.6. Like, you just don't see someone that moves as gracefully as Justin Jefferson. So, second-round pick, nail him. You have one final note, and I, I want to spin this forward because we lost – Irv Smith as a potential quote-unquote late-round tight end. Robert Gronkowski played 15 of 18 first-team snaps. Again, in that same Pew Report show that I cited, Gronk played an unreal amount of snaps last year. I know like the production wasn't there week in and week out, but he played way more snaps than he wanted them to. Um, John Ledger told me that they wanted O.J. Howard to, like coming off his Achilles injury, grab a hold of at least that second tight end job. But every time they put him out there, at least isolated, he's failed. Like he's failed as a blocker. He's failed a receiver in practice. Gronk might go back to those 70 to 80% snaps. Hayden, no one is caring about Robert Gronkowski right now as tight end 17. He might be the late round guy among these tight ends. And I also want to bring up tight end 21, Austin Hooper, because we know the Browns are going to be among the league leaders in multiple tight end sets. They paid him a boatload of money prior to last offseason. Baker looks in check. Austin Hooper looks in check in his yards of catch. One of these guys is going to hit like Robert Tunyon did last year, albeit on ridiculous touchdown efficiency. But those are two nominees for me. Yeah, Gronk playing 15 of 18 snaps is like all I need to see to move him back up. I don't think they're going to try to hide him. I think they actually want to use Gronk as like an every down player. Uh, and Another reason why the Bucs are probably going to win the Super Bowl again. Their team's so stacked that, like, O.J. Howard's not even going to be on the field. And same thing with Cameron Braid. Uh, and I'm with you on Austin Hooper. I think it's a great candidate. He's highly paid. He's been productive in the past. Everyone's kind of written him off. And, like, guys like Anthony Frixler are playing on, like, one of the three uh, downs. And these guys are playing every single down. And they're, they're paid well. So, yeah. I know that they have a ton of wide receivers, but Pratt Fryermuth, who's been climbing and climbing and climbing it at tight end 26, is a little intriguing as well. All right. That's going to do it for us. Here's the rest of the week, okay? Tomorrow, Tuesday, 1230 Eastern, Trill Weathers, Tyler I Am, is here on this very show to do a live draft with me and Hayden. Cannot wait for that. Wednesday, here on this very YouTube channel, 1230 Eastern, our ideal drafts. Hayden and I are going to take you through which picks we want you and which picks we think are the best to make one through 18 for multiple spots. Cannot wait for that show. And then we'll close out our fantasy preview coverage for your draft. So you can win on Thursday with our top 50, just overall, not position by position overall board. And hopefully all of you can learn a lot and have been taking a lot from all the positional breakdowns, all the clips, that are down below before you get out of here again on the road to 5k like and subscribe which is also on the road to 10k but we'll get there when we get there right hayden and if you have that one season long league that you care about because i know so many of you have like 
drafts this weekend, drafts this week. There is no better way to prepare than to go play best ball over on underdog. If you use promo code the show, you get a free 25 bucks. Go spend five entries on the puppy. Go play one best ball mania two in order to win a million or 200 K or 150 K all that good stuff. Again, there is money at stake in every single draft. There's no waivers. There's no trades or any of that. Whoever drafts the best has the best team. So, Again, it's so much better than the mock drafts that you do, all that kind of stuff. Just go and try it out once. The app is great, and desktop is great as well. Anything you want to say, Hayden, before we get out of here? Mock drafts are garbage. I mean, literally a waste of time. Just go play best ball. Go play best ball. All right, everyone. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you, Wallace, Isaac, Sam, Andrew, Liam, all you good people. As always, up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya. (laughs) 